Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, we'll be in Luke 14 today. We get to start a new series. Morning, Dan. What's going on, homie? Um, Luke 14, uh, we're starting a new series on the parables of Jesus called Secrets of the Kingdom. The parables are the greatest stories ever told uh, by the greatest teacher ever born. His name is Jesus. And in society in general, they are revered as stories that impart great wisdom. Parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son. And then we're going to look at some of the more obscure ones, maybe ones that you haven't heard before or that are short and, and uh, maybe a little less commonly taught because we pass over them quickly. So today we're going to start with one known as the parable of the great banquet. And I want to ask you to go ahead and get ready with Mark chapter 4. Here's what it says on the screen. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables, but afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. It's his way of saying, you know what, hey, we've got, we've got uh, these stories that I'm going to be rolling out. Sometimes it says in the Bible he does it so they won't understand. Sometimes it says he does it so they will understand. But the line in there that I want to get your attention with is this one, as much as they could understand. That means that there are things that even as Jesus rolled these things out, even as he taught with all of his wisdom and even using these great stories, that he, that there are things that we have yet to understand, that our mental faculties have limits to them, or sometimes it's our attention that's the issue, which is, seems to be the case uh, in the story today. Parables, again, are the greatest stories ever told by the greatest teacher ever born, packed with life-changing truths. And let's start this morning with the parable of the great banquet as it's known. Isn't it awesome to be invited to something rather than finding out that you were the only person that didn't get invited to something? Uh, you know, and then there, you know, when you find out somebody comes back, hey man, we had a great time over at so-and-so's house. And you realize, why wouldn't I invite it? It was one, was one part of it. Or, as is the case in our story today, it could even be more awkward. You throw a huge party and nobody shows up. That's the case for God, who is the host in this particular story. God throws this party, this banquet, and while he sends out the invites and people say they're going to show up, they don't show up after all. You know how that is. You got somebody and they say, hey man, can you, you want to come over Friday night? You want to go do this? You want to go do that? Yeah, 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 I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And when the time comes, they either don't show or they cancel any at the last second. That's the image I want you to go with. This is not a story for outsiders about how we need to be out there trying to invite everybody who's outside. It's actually kind of a story about insiders who have kind of forsaken the blessing of the banquet and have been given the charge to go out and find others who will show up for the banquet to fill the house of God. God wants his house full. Whenever you're studying the Bible, one of the questions you want to ask whenever you get to any text is what does it tell us about God? That needs to be kind of the forefront. And then all the applications and everything to daily life come after that. But that's the big question, and this story has some powerful things to teach us today. God is throwing a feast right now. You are invited. All your family is invited. All your friends are invited. Will they show up? Have you shown up? Or did you do one of those deals like happens at some of our parties where somebody shows up, and they're the first one there, and it's horribly awkward? They walk in, there's like a bowl of Doritos there on the, on the thing, and so they come in, they swipe some Doritos, sneak out the back door because it's awkward, and they don't want to be the first one there, right? So 
In this story, in Luke 14, Jesus has been invited to the party. When he arrives, he sees only A-listers. So he encourages the host and everybody present not to just invite those who can repay him with invites to other A-list events, but to invite others, the poor, the lame, the blind, the foreigner. And he's saying, make room for those for whom there is not usually room. Here it is, Luke 14. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And one said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And then you can underline this part in your Bible or, or highlight it on your app. His master was furious. <laughs> and he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. All right, so let's just back up, get the thing in context. Man throws a great banquet, invites a ton of people. Uh, and a lot of people RSVP. So think of it like a wedding where you get a, a round of invites and you get RSVPs for it because you're trying to figure out, okay, who wants the chicken, who wants the fish or whatever. And you need to know what the costs are going to look like. And you got limited space in, in the facility that you're using. So you want to know, okay, how many people are going to be coming so I know if I can invite a few more or whatever. Now, a little, dirty little secret of weddings and planning those is that you do have a painful discussion usually unless you have a place with unlimited seating and unlimited resources where you have to sit down and you have to make a decision who gets an invite and who doesn't. And if you and your fiancé have not fought before, you will in that discussion because you, one guy, the guy will say, hey, you know, I think my mom ought to get an invitation, don't you think? Well, I don't know. My fourth cousin, twice removed or whatever, is over here in Kentucky. She's going to be offended if she doesn't get an invite, so we got to invite her. And then this guy's like, hey, man, he was my best friend in college. And she's like, yeah, but she should have been one of my bridesmaids, but I couldn't quite make room for her, so we got to invite her. And then if I invite her, but not her mom, and then her mom's uh, uh, you know, new husband or whatever, then everybody's going to be upset. And so that whole process begins to get the list down. The beautiful thing of the banquet of God is you don't get the sense that it's a capacity issue. It's a priority issue. The table of God continues to be extended. It's almost like there's unlimited space. The excuses, depending on how you read it, if you want to read it charitably or uncharitably, are not bad on their surface, assuming they're true. First one, a land deal. Bought some land, uh, you know how it is. Second thing. Uh, you know, I got, a, I got a, 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 a bunch of oxen that I just bought, and I need to go see them. Now, that's probably bogus. It's a good excuse if it's valid, but probably bogus because in the ancient world, all that stuff got done in market. Everybody was looking at everybody, and you would never buy oxen without looking at them first. Thankfully, he appears to, the third guy has appeared to have seen his wife before um, he goes ahead and takes the plunge. And so he says, uh, I just can't come. I just got married. All right. So those are the excuses that come. The host, though, it says, gets upset. 
He doesn't seem to get upset because they had other things going on. He's upset, it seems, because they'd RSVP'd. They had said, I'm in. I'm coming. You can count on me. I'll be there. Can't wait to celebrate the big day. So uh, you know this from the fact that in Luke 14, 23, it says, the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be, may be filled. But he goes out and he sends him to get the people who had been invited, the text says. I think it's verse 17. So when Emily and I put out the things for our, our wedding, uh, we, we needed to know how it came. And if somebody had said, yes, I'm going to be there and then not, it would have bothered us. I don't know that I would have said I was infuriated. I might have been more bummed or a little bit like, man, that stinks. Like we, that cost us like, you know, 50 bucks or whatever for the, for the chicken and fish or whatever it was that they were going to do. And we could have invited somebody else or whatever. Okay. The host here isn't mildly uh, tweaked. He's, he's, he's furious is the word that's used. So what's going on in this story? What's Jesus trying to teach us? Well, the banquet itself refers to the arrival of God's kingdom in the ministry of Jesus. The excuses that are given in the story are intended to grab the attention of those who would put off the business of God for the business of everyday life, ahead of the claims of God and his kingdom. But it isn't directed primarily to the uninvited, and I think that's the key to the story. Jesus directs the story to the first group, the people who were invited and had said yes. And when they say yes, then it becomes an issue for the host who then looks and says, okay, well, where are all my friends at? You see, God wants our presence, not our RSVP. You see the difference? Again, the, the excuses are, are, are one thing, but maybe there's something deeper than that. I have never been invited and this is, this is wrong, in my opinion. I have never been invited to the Grammys. Uh, apparently, they haven't seen or heard my voice yet, which is very, hey, easy. Our worship pastor just laughed out loud. She's heard it. Yeah, there's no, it's, no, it's no shock that I haven't been invited to the Grammys, right? But if I was, I would go. I've never been invited to the Oscars before. And if I was to be invited to the Oscars, I would go. You know why I would go? Because it's an honor to go to the Oscars or the Grammys. Because very few get to do that. If you're not, you know, Brad Pitt or Will Smith or, um, no, nah, we're not going to bring that one up. But, um, but, you know, anybody else, these celebrities that you go, man, I get to walk around with those people? So what does it say if there's a round of invitations and people are too busy to, to go. If I knew that if I was invited to the Academy Awards or the Oscars or something like that, and I would go no matter what, clear the schedule, barring almost anything else, get a tuxedo, grab some car that's not too embarrassing, and off I go. I'm there, and I'm doing it with great enthusiasm. But then on the other hand, here's an invitation from the host, capital H, host, and I go ahead and I say, yes, at first, yes, I'll be there. But then when the time comes to actually attend whatever he's doing, then I'm too busy. Uh, sorry, I got, a, I got some land. Uh, I got some cows. 
Um, uh, I just got married. Uh, the check's in the mail. Alarm didn't go off. Dog ate my homework. Whatever the case may be. Too busy. Dude, it's going to be a beautiful day Sunday. Or in a broader scale, because this goes way beyond attending church. This is way past that. This is, that's a piece of it. But this has more to do with setting aside everything else or putting all other invitations underneath this one. That the kingdom of God is the single most important invitation a person can receive and the single most important one that we can accept and the single most important one we can show up for. Because God wants his house to be full. What does that tell us about God? He's hospitable. That he loves people. That he wants people to accept his invitation. He gives three rounds of invitations. Round one is the first RSVP. Round two is everybody to show up. Then everybody doesn't show up, and then he tells his servants to go out. After they've grabbed every person that they can convince, cajole, or coerce to show up, there's still room in the house. So he says, okay, now go back out again. Go back out again because I want my house full. That tells us some beautiful things about our Heavenly Father. That he invites every person who's willing to come including those whose presence would have offended the guests. He had invited first uh, those folks that RSVP, but then the poor, the lame, the blind. He says, go out and look in the hedges. Like there are people just laying in the bushes or something. Go look in the hedges. Go do whatever you got to do. Up, over, underneath, whatever it takes to invite somebody. See, what's important is not when we're invited. It's that we come when we're invited. It's not about the RSVP. It's about the presence. So if you are poor or lame or a sinner or lonely and nobody, guess what? You're invited. God wants you there. He sent Jesus as a messenger to you, as a sign that he wants you here. It's his table. And if you have an invitation, nobody can keep you out but yourself. Joanne Pressler, you don't know that name. It's a name that means a lot to me. She was my Sunday school teacher. Joanne had Parkinson's. When she was um, in her 30s, she was a nurse by trade, and her parents fell very ill. She quit her job as a nurse to be able to care for her parents full time. So she does this thinking, okay, they're not going to live much longer when they're past. I'll go ahead and go back into nursing. But at a very early age, she contracted Parkinson's way too early. So she comes in and... Uh, finds a way to, even though Parkinson starts to take her fairly quickly, she remains gracious and kind. She ends up eventually in a wheelchair for a while. When I knew her, she, she had a walker, and she would come in, and she taught a main Bible class. I have the distinction of being the single person who caused her only known uh, episode of being angry in public. It was me in Bible class. Um, as you can imagine, I was, I, was, I was hell on wheels in that class. But she was so good at teaching the Bible, so gracious and kind. Well, she ended up moving to a trailer park in Paramount, California, the little church I grew up in, took great care of her over the years. And I remember Thanksgiving when, when she asked my parents if she could invite a lot of people from her trailer park to our house for Thanksgiving. And my parents flung the doors open and said, absolutely. 
Now, during that, I was supposed to have a good attitude about it. I did not have a good attitude about it. I was upset that there would be, again, a bunch of strangers in the house. I mean, one or two, that's, that's a good Christian thing to do. But, you know, 10 or 12, come on. You can't have 10 or 12. That means I'm going to have to sit way down at that end of the table, and I'm going to be fighting for mashed potatoes. Right? That's how a 10 or 12-year-old boy thinks. That's the way I thought at the time. Right? I go, I go come on, man, I don't want a bunch of strange people in here and everything like that. I want to watch my football. I want my mashed potatoes. I want my green beans. I want my turkey and all that stuff. Because that morning, we are going to be serving uh, others. We, we go down to the Long Beach Senior Center where a lot of people who hadn't have an invitation to celebrate Thanksgiving anywhere else would show up and we would feed them. And In my 12-year-old mind, there was this dichotomy between hey, I went and I served other people, so now this is my chance to go ahead and eat. There's a dichotomy between what I'm doing for the Lord and what I'm doing for Tim. My parents didn't see that dichotomy. They were right. They understand that life in the kingdom is integrated. It's, it's something that's fluid. It's all meshed together. There's no point at which I go, okay, guess what? Hey, it's 12 o'clock at noon now. That means that I get to log out of my Christianity for a while and get to go be selfish. It's just not how the kingdom of God works. The banquet that God is inviting people to doesn't end. It never stops. It's a place of fellowship and a place of festivity and a place in which we show up to honor the host. It's about honoring the host and enjoying one, the presence of one another because we know the host. It's like going to a raucous wedding. There's going to be some day when, when one of my three daughters is going is to, you know, some boy that they're dating is going to survive and, and they're going to get married. And when that happens, all right, I as the father am going to have to write some monstrous bill. Uh, or actually, I won't write a bill. I'll pay a bill, I guess, uh, for the wedding. All right? And there are going to be weird people that I don't know at that wedding. All right? I'm going to look in, I'm going to look out there, and all I see is $100 bills over everybody's head as they're coming in to eat, right? If I don't know them, that's what I see. If I know them, then that's great. But otherwise, I'm like, why are you here? What are you doing at this place? Now, out there at the tables where everybody's celebrating, they're gonna, the conversation will go like this. Oh, how do you know the Spivers? Oh, you know, we met back in, you know, they, they were in ministry together back here. Or you know, we met Anna in college or Olivia in college or whatever the case may be. What bonds the people together is the hosting family, right? You see, the beauty of the body of Christ and why, it, why it's so magical and different than every other relationship you have is that. It's that. The host. The host is what makes that banquet different than every other banquet, including wedding banquets, uh, vacations together. The host. And what concerns me when I read it is that at times of me, I make the host a little bit upset with me, or a lot upset with me, because it, I, I lose my honor for the host. The reason I don't show up when I should is because I, I fail to honor the host. See, if it was just about 
doing nice things or uh, something like that, that's one thing. But for me to be invited and to say to God at my baptism, I'm in. You can count on me, Lord. I'm ready. When, when the Lord Jesus uh, calls me to action, I'm there, and I want to sit at your table all of my life. Okay, when, I, when I take that, when I say yes, when I check that RSVP, then I'm expected to then take my seat at the table. Now, we often think that's the primary task of the church, is taking the seat, but it's really not. As is the case in a lot of parables, we tend to identify with the person we want to identify with. Really, the church is supposed to be in the act of the servants that go out and get people to the table. So we see ourselves that way, right? I'm supposed to sit and eat, but in reality, I'm one who's like the servant of the host, so I'm there for sure. But I'm also there to say, hey, God wants his house full. I'm honoring the host, so I'm going to go grab every living person, thing, creature. I will check the bushes. I will check wherever I got to check. All my Facebook friends. I'll check my Instagram account. I'll check whatever. People I know, people I run into at Little League, people I run into at school, people I run whatever, boyfriends, girlfriends, moms, dads, step, 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 step people. All right? Like, I'm going to go after all of them because God wants his house full, and I'm not doing it because they deserve it. I'm not doing it because, you know, I think it's even going to, it could make your life a lot more difficult to invite them, frankly. But that doesn't matter. What matters is honoring the host, and the host wants his house full. Does that make sense? So when we come at a story like this, man, we need to, we need to really check the way that we we look at the invitation of God. I, I went to college in Malibu, and there, there were two kinds of people that at parties, when it came down to parties, would really kind of bug me. I'd like to say I was never one of these two kinds, but I think I was at probably at one point or another. There was one where somebody would invite somebody to a party, and they would go, well, who else is going to be there? Those people. So if the right people weren't checking in, then they didn't want to go. Then there was another kind that... I would call them the regretful party missers. So they were the ones that were invited and then said no. And then when they found out that there was a celebrity at the party, then they're like, well, if I'd known they were going to be there. Okay. There are some people who never leave college. They just don't. And it colors not just their relationship to God, but it covers their relationship to other people. Because when we aren't able to be faithful to God as Christians, we are 99% of the time. Now, I'll put it at 100%. You're not faithful to others either. Because if you can't revere the host, the host of hosts, the big H, host, if you can't revere him after everything he's done for you, then how are you going to be faithful and reverent toward people that have given you far less and who may mistreat you tomorrow or later this afternoon or whatever. Now, we, I'm not saying we don't have flashes of that, but generally people who lack the ability to be faithful in their walk with Christ, faithful in their reverence for the host, struggle in their relationships with other people. I'm not saying they don't have any friends. I'm saying they don't have as many good friends as perhaps they think they do. Because people who aren't faithful friends tend to draw people who are not faithful friends. And you don't find that out until you really need those friends. Then at that point now, now we see 
who the real friends are, right? It's like a, you remember, hope none of you, this wasn't your party, but if it was, you've been to a party like this, somebody's sweet 16, mom and dad got the place decked out, there's a car in the driveway with a big bow around it, they invite all the neighbors, all the friends to show up and experience the joy, and nobody comes. Now, some people said they were going to come. But it's either one of those deals where they just flake it all together or on that Friday night right before the big party, everybody starts texting in. Ah, you know what? Hey, I think I had close contact, you know, with somebody. And um, three blocks over, got COVID, so I don't think I'm going to be able to make it tonight. Hey, you know, uh, you know what? Hey, um, uh, you know, Tommy's had a really hard day today. And, and, and so I'm sure you'll understand you wouldn't want us to be there anyways. We just bring the place down. We don't, you don't want that. And on and on and on it goes until there's like one friend there. And so mom and dad don't want disaster to strike. So they go out and they grab, they try to get people from church. They try to get grandmas, grandpas, anybody, distant relatives, anybody they can to end the house. And there's still three or four people there. They just can't, they just can't get anybody there. That's kind of the image you get here in this story. God, as the guy throwing the party, nobody wants to go to. Oh. But he's not sulky in the story. He's furious. Among the lists of things that God gets furious about in the Bible, injustice makes him furious. Uh, The Ten Commandments, the breaking of those, everything from um, adultery to bearing false witness against your neighbor to coveting all of those seven deadly sins furious and flaking on the RSVP to the kingdom of God that's in the list so his solution is to say to his servants if they don't want to come go find anybody that wants to be here Whoever it is, I don't care. Go find somebody who wants to be here until this place is full. Sisters and brothers, there are some things that are worth dropping everything for. The invitation of the Lord is the most important thing that you or I or anybody has going on. And our response to it will determine more about our lives than anything else. You know, more than where we go to college or who we marry or how our kids turn out. It will determine everything about our eternities. And often it will play a role in even the eternities of the people around us. And in Christ, you see, we've been invited to life and eternity feasting in the presence of the Lord. And he won't postpone the party. And he won't reschedule the party. He'll find a new audience. And to those of us, he sent his son to compel people from the office towers, to the apartment complexes, to the park benches, to come to the great banquet because he wants his house full. Now, the irony of all this, the people that end up showing up, actually showing up to his party are the kind of people that if the first people had shown up, the RSVPers, they wouldn't wouldn't have wanted to sit together. But boy, what a host. I want to introduce you to the Ibarra family. They um, this was one 
heck of a quinceanera, man. So Mr. Ibarra gets on. He's just a happy dad. He wants his daughter's quinceanera to be a hit. So he gets online, gets on Facebook, and he says, Hey, everyone, my daughter's quinceanera is coming up. Everyone's invited. Send. Well, Mr. Ibarra thought that it was like going to just, just his friends would see it. But that's not what happened. It was a public post. So this particular event continues to get shared and reshared and reshared and reshared and reshared. And he puts a, like, a, it's like an event. So he has an RSVP uh, click on there. 1.3 million people RSVP for his daughter's quinceanera. It got to a point, <laughs> it got to a point where airlines were offering special flight packages to get to his daughter's quinceanera. Now you can see how thrilled she is uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the day of the quinceanera. Um, it got wildly out of hand, but isn't it cool to have a dad that's like, you know what, everybody come on, let's go. Uh, anybody that wants to show up, show up, right? So that's the heart of the host, right, in the story, right? It's mystery bar. Now, 1.3 million RSVP. 20,000 showed up, which is still not bad. I mean, tops most quinceaneras I've ever been to. Um, yeah, most. <laughs> I haven't really been to one that's topped that, I'll, I'll admit. Um, 1.3 million, 20,000. Not bad. But 1.28 million RSVP'd and didn't show. Now, his daughter appears to be just fine with the attendance, we'll say. Uh, could have done with a few less. But I find those two competing realities interesting. The heart of the dad who just wants everybody to show up. Celebrate my girl. And everybody's like, let's do it. I mean, there were memes out there. There was like, I think the, uh, like the local uh, federal uh, police force and everything did a meme that's like, yeah, preparing security for the bar of Quinceanera or something like that. And they were joking and everything. And it kind of took off and everybody was getting in on it together. But then you go, all right. Yes, it was kind of fun. No, everybody probably wasn't serious. And yes, it was a person they didn't know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But let me ask you. You know, you go... Out of the people that I've baptized into Christ, how many people RSVP and then they get up from the table and they bail at that point? I think that breaks the heart of God. I do. And I think his charge for me as his servant and you as his servant is to say, look, a lot of people... RSVPing is easy. Showing up. That's the kingdom of God. Now, it's not, I want to be clear, it's way beyond little tasks like going to church or doing whatever. It's bigger than that. It's about what goes on in here 
being reflected in every aspect of life. It's having the heart that, like the psalmist said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, that is the heart of this story. It's saying, God invited me. And far better than getting an invite to the Academy Awards or the Grammys or anything else, that is the most important invitation anyone can receive in this life. And that there is no other host in our society anywhere, in any society, whose invitation matters more, that cost more than that one. And so because of that, I say yes when I come to Christ, and I say yes every day after I come to Christ as a disciple of Jesus. And it's that heart that then makes good and honors the host, the heart of the host who threw his arms open and said, hey, anybody that wants to show up, come on, we're having a banquet. We're having a banquet. God's banquets, God's house, they're not just huge. They have room. And he built them to be full. The only people on the outside or the only people who go away hungry are those who turn away the house and the banquet and the bread of Christ. And though Jesus was born into a world that did not have room for him, he nonetheless makes room for them. And so there is still room. Sister, brother, take your seat. And if you've already taken your seat, then join me in going around and trying to fill the table of God. Because that's what our Father's will is for us in Christ. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And that he's going to prepare a place for us so that we can be where he is. We can be where he is, sisters and brothers, only because he came to be where we were. We can be where he is if we will take our seat. The best seat in the world is always at God's table. That's the best seat in the house. doesn't matter what part of the room you're sitting in. It's the best seat there is. I got a picture of a family I want to show you. So um, they look like a pretty normal California family. Kids got Adidas and Asics and Nikes on, got sunglasses. They're not San Diegans. They're Ukrainians. A month ago, they take a church camping trip. They decide... They and some people from the little church they had just started are going to go camping together, brothers and sisters. So they pack their stuff, they head off to camp. While they're camping, war breaks out in Ukraine, and they can't go back home. Still haven't gone back home. They get in the car, they try to drive out of Ukraine. He stopped at the border because Ukrainian men were being brought, it forced into service militarily, he gets a pass because he's got three kids. So they let him out of the country. They get into Romania. From Romania, after talking to friends and family and different things, they end up going to Germany because they hear there's a church in Germany that's working with those seeking asylum and refugees and such. And so they end up at a church in Germany where they sleep in the church building where the body of Christ is there helping work with people that are in this situation. A couple of the people that happen to be in that church building are my wife's parents who recognize the situation and try to serve them, minister to them in some way, and then figure out, okay, well, they've got a connection, and 
in New York, in Syracuse. And so how do we get these people from Germany to New York safely and over time? And so what happens is they end up, these folks who've already been on quite the journey from Ukraine to Romania to Germany, go from Germany to Mexico City on an airplane hoping to be able to cross the border down here in San Ysidro. They get, in, they get to Mexico City, the flight gets canceled, so they're stranded in Mexico City for a while. Eventually, they get back on a plane, get to TJ, get to Tijuana, and are able to come across the border, where then they're picked up by my wife and housed with some people from NBC, okay? Never been to the United States. Just a little bit ago, they were in Ukraine. Now, they're in San Diego. We try to do the best we can to, I mean, imagine, think about what you pack when you go camping. Uh, and you're going for a couple of days, right? You, you don't go, you don't pack everything you own. You, you take the bare essentials. You think to yourself, nobody's really going to see me, so I can leave the makeup at home or I can leave the whatever at the house or whatever. I don't need a razor. I don't need any of that stuff. I'll be back in a couple of days, only to find out you're not going to be back in a couple of days. They end up coming here to um, to San Diego. We take them down. Everybody in San Diego is super gracious to them. Uh, the Websters were great for housing them. The, 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 the Maritime Museum, when, when my wife took them down there to show them around, uh, let them ride in. As soon as they found out they were from Ukraine, oh, please go on in, you know, and, and, and everybody tried to help them out. I take him to the T-Mobile store at the mall where uh, they're going to re retire my jersey sometime soon, I'm sure, because of the Spivey family phone uh, tree uh, that we've, we've done there. But I knew exactly David's the man. I said, we need to go see David because he didn't have any SIM cards for his phone, so he couldn't call anybody. So imagine that. Imagine being that long without the ability to talk to people that you, you, you need to be able to contact back home. So we take him to the mall. We get him his SIM cards and everything like that so they can communicate. We're in the store. First thing, the guy tells him it's like $35 to get a, a SIM card. He looks at me like he thinks the guy's playing with him. $35? Like, $35? American dollar. You know, like he looks at me confused. And he says that in Ukraine, he can get all the unlimited data and everything for less than $3 a month. And so I said, well, I said, uh, okay, well, let's, let's figure it out. You know, and so we get him through. He gets his deals. I go, I go, while we're waiting on them doing the service, I go, is this your first time to the States? I had just met him at this point. And he goes, he goes yes, it's my first time. And I said, well, what do you notice? And he says, it's very expensive here. <laughs> I said, you, tell me about it, brother. I feel you on that, you know. And then he goes, I go, what else? And he says, the air. He says, when I breathe in, the air is sweet. He goes, I love it. Clean air. And it smells sweet. And, uh, and then he talked about how quiet it is. He sleeps well because it's quiet to him. It's not loud. And, you know, you just kind of sit there. Later that night, we take him over to Webster's and we have dinner. And um, I knew I was preaching this story and I was watching it in real time. I was watching this and I go, you know, the funny thing about somebody in, 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 in Sergei and Svetlana's Matthew and Timothy and Leo, their boys, is that when you're, when you're in exile, you don't say no to a dinner invitation. You say yes. 
And you don't gripe about what's being served. You eat it with joy and thanksgiving. I couldn't help but think to myself about God telling his servants, go out and find then, if the other people aren't going to mess with it, then go out and find the poor, the lame, the blind, and the foreigner and get them in here until my house is full. And keep going, keep going, and keep going, and keep going. And then I thought about the beauty and the majesty of the body of Christ that helps these people get from Ukraine, Romania, to Germany, to Mexico, to San Diego, to Dallas, to Syracuse. What a month. Holy cow. All when you just pack for an average camping trip. Next thing you know, you're living in Syracuse, New York, with, and tied in with the church there, you know, to take care of them. But I sit there and I go, wow, there's something so powerful about understanding it is never, we may not all know everybody, right, but we know the host, and knowing the host is enough to understand that the people that we're there with around the table of God, that we all belong here, and the importance of that invitation. You see, the, the, the problem has never been the absence of God or the busyness of God or the lack of room in God's house. It's that those God invites to the point of exhaustion, it seems, barely look up from their phones to give their reasons why they can't take their seat. And that's what makes the parable kind of sad when I read it. It's God as the guy who throws the party nobody wants to go to. And what a, what a, what a profound tragedy that is when the invitation is as profound as it is and free as it is to those of us who would come. So the question remains, I guess, will I take my seat with him? I, 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 I feel like I've done that. What about you? And then the question becomes, okay, are we ready to serve him in the way that his servants do in the story, where we're willing to go and, and find people who are willing to answer the invitation and show up for God? You know, the... Um, the story is first and foremost about the irony of the Pharisees who had already said, yes, we're here we're looking for the Messiah. And then now that the Messiah is here, they don't recognize him. To those who today say, boy, I wish I knew how to find the Lord. And then people showing up saying, let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus. And saying, yeah, no, no, I'm looking for somebody else or I'm too busy. The cares of this life are what get people here. It's not a belief issue. It's a busy issue. It's a distracted issue. And so my prayer for us is that we don't allow the things of the world, the things that God's given to us as blessings to enjoy, to become things that ultimately keep us from the table of the Lord. Right now, we're going to gather around the communion table, and this table prefigures the great table of the Lord. So as we do, and you should have received the elements when you came in, if you did not and you want to, just go ahead and put your hand in the air, and we'll, we'll bring it to you. Um, in doing this, we are going to say thank you to God for the invitation. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us. Thank you, God, for being a gracious host. Thank you for the honor of being at your table. Uh, and we're going to also, as we take it, 
and we do this every week here at New Vintage, the body and blood of Jesus is symbolized here in these, these elements. We're going to remember the death of Christ that made that possible. And we're going to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, send me on mission. Help me to find people that need to know that you haven't forgotten them, but you've invited them. That even if they feel abandoned and lonely and alone, that they're not. That the body is around them. The body of Christ welcomes them. Help them to, in a world in which we have a hard time being able to count on people or trust people that you are dependable and love them. And put that message on our lips and seal it and send us forth. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, with bread and cup, we say thank you. Father, the fact that you would invite us at all is a demonstration of your mercy. Father, for the times that I have been preoccupied and not heard you calling my name for dinner, I apologize, Father, and I ask, Father, for your forgiveness, and I ask, Father, for those in this room beyond that we would, we would never take for granted the awesome invitation that you've given to us, especially to those of us who've said yes. And, Father, we would take our seat and that we would enjoy your feast and welcome anyone through the power of the blood of Jesus that would come to your banquet, Father, for the example of Jesus Christ and his hospitality to all tax collectors, sinners, all people, Father, make us like that, conform our heart to his as we take communion. We pray this in Jesus' name.